0: It's Oklahoma Archery. Everything archery based out of Oklahoma for Oklahoma. Let's get it started. Welcome everybody to another fun and exciting podcast for the Oklahoma Archery Podcast. I'm David Bosca.
1: I'm Neil Cooley. Today we got, we got Rick Gilley in the house with us today. How you doing, Rick? Doing good. Enjoying this fall
0: weather, finally. Yeah, Rick, tell everybody where you out. Where you out of? Uh, Collinsville, Oklahoma. And been a, re- been a resident
2: of Oklahoma for about forty six years. Uh, grew up in Texas, you know, and then relocated here uh, with a, a job position about forty six years ago.
0: Well, tell everyone a little bit, just a brief history of your archery shenanigans everything you've done from the beginning to the end man let's get started (laughs) let's tell everybody who rick archery or sorry rick Gilly. well uh
2: okay i i've been competing uh shooting competition archery for about 58 years um i shot a bow about five years before that so uh uh, when i was a a kid uh, my dad saw a a little piece in the paper about an archery club being formed around our area. And, uh, he knew I was interested in archery and got us involved in that club. And, uh, that was, that was the beginning. Uh, you know, I knew very little about archery, but had a, had a bunch of good guys, uh, that joined, uh, or formed this club. And, uh, several of them took me under their wing and, uh, started showing me the ropes and we built a field range and started traveling around to tournaments. Uh, my first tournament was in 1965. And of course, everything then was uh, recurve of course. And, uh, we just grew from there, uh, in 1969. Uh, well, when I first started out shooting, I shot, I was shooting bare bow. In, the, in mostly field archery. And, uh, you know, did pretty well. was shooting against David Hughes, who, who was a great barebow shooter from Texas. And uh, I had a couple of national finishes that were second and third place shooting barebow. And then uh, one night I was shooting barebow at an indoor league and I was shooting around, at that time I was shooting around 297 or 298 on a NFAA uh, indoor face, and the bear rep walked in and uh, he said, Man, he says, if you'd put a sight on, he says, I bet you could tear it up. He says, If I brought a sight to put in that bow, he said, Would you try it? And uh, I said, Sure. I was shooting a bear tamerlane at that time that actually had a sight that fit into the sight window. Anyway, long story short, he brought me a sight and I put it on my bow and uh, I got nine three hundred perfect three hundred rounds in a row the next over the next three weeks, and uh, he got me a plane ticket. I went to the international championship up in Cobo Hall, Detroit. Ended up uh, in a shoot off for third place at that tournament and won the tournament. So,
0: wow! That is perfect. before we that, get too much further, Rick. Before we get too much further, what was your first bow? What what was it? You said recurve. My very,
2: my very first bow yeah was a I don't even know the brand, a fiber fiberglass.
0: Okay. okay. Recurve
2: bow. You know, I would shot a bow about 5 years before we joined the archery club. And so I'd I'd gone to, a, you know, just a little bow. Then I got a Ben Pearson Cougar uh, which was a recurve made back in the days. And, uh, then a root game master. Oh, uh, it's that company's out of business now, but, you know, and then kept progressing and, uh, eventually ended up shooting, uh, bows from bear archery and, uh, was on the bear archery shooting staff for, for many years after I won, uh, the shooting Cobo hall. So, uh, that that win that win uh you know really started it for me uh i was i was a young neil cooley i was eat up with archery i wanted to go to every shoot there was i i loved everything about you know uh competition and archery and when i won that tournament it opened some doors and uh I started shooting uh, in the PAA, which at that time was the professional archers association in the recurve division. Uh, and did very well there. And then as compounds came in, Bear wanted me to shoot a compound. And, uh, so I changed over the PAA eventually, uh, kind of went away. And, uh, that's when the NFA pro division started up. And, uh, I joined that pro division and shot in it for 36 years, you know, so anyway, briefly, that's kind of how I came up through the ranks. Uh, it's been a joy. It's been a passion. I love it. People ask me all the time, don't you ever get tired of it? No. Uh, to this day, I get up in the morning and uh, I'm ready to shoot my bow. You know, whether there's a tournament or not, it's just—it's uh, always been a challenge to me to try to be the best I can be. Whether it was practicing or a tournament or where it was, so um, so no, I've never gotten tired of
0: it—not yet. Okay, so that was your first national title. Yes. How many? Have you won since, or, or all together, or anything like that?
2: I've won uh, thirteen national titles. Uh, not all of them NFAA competition. A lot of them are, you know. Well, Neil and I went to a shoot in Indiana a few a couple of years ago, the Midwest Trail Shoot, and that was a national competition. Uh, I won it, and over the years of you know, there's been different indoor titles. Uh, there used to before the reading shoot, uh, there was a Fresno safari. I won that shoot one year, uh, different indoor titles, won a couple of ASA
0: tournament. Uh, you know, uh, so, so, so yeah, you're not just about field or indoor or 3d, um, He's definitely well rounded. So, so the, the group that's listening to this kind of understands Rick Gilly and his pedigree. Now, what's your favorite to shoot out of all of it?
2: Well, I grew up shooting field archery down in Texas, and uh, field archery's always been my favorite. Fortunately, in our area, field archery has kind of uh, gone to the backseat, so we don't have a lot of it anymore. But it's still it's still my favorite round to shoot. Second, probably is the trail shoots like the Redding, the Fresno Safari, uh, the Midwest Trail Shoot. Those type shoots are probably my my second favorite because they they're similar to field archery, uh, you know, in that aspect. But I like to shoot my bow, you know. Uh, if you want to compete and have have a tournament, well, we can shoot at ping pong balls swinging on a string. You know, I don't really care what we shoot at. I just I just enjoy archery and I enjoy competing.
0: Well, you've definitely been in it longer than myself. I started in '89 or '90, and 3D was coming around then. But okay, give us your ideas and your thoughts. What 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 do you think of this 3D target when it started coming afloat and coming around? What did you think of it? What did the world think of it with you? Well, I mean, I, I
2: thought it was interesting. You know, my big thing was all of my competition uh, before that had been known yardage type competitions. And, of course, when 3D first came out, it was basically all unknown. And that threw a little kink in my uh my way of thinking, because I had never I'd never thought about shooting competition uh, with unknown yardage, so I struggled in that aspect, you know I thought it was great. I shot a lot of tournaments uh, I didn't shoot very well uh, but you know it, it was it was that learning curve that you go through uh on something like that. I was thrilled when ASA came out with the known, you know, the known distance uh, divisions because that was a little more to my liking. But, uh, you know, ASA and and 3D, you can understand why it is so popular because, uh, you know, 90 to 95% of your sales are to bow hunters. And and that round appeals to anybody that bow hunts. Basically, where target archery is a more select group, uh, takes a little different equipment and everything. So, you know, to see the immediate success that ASA had uh, wasn't surprising, and and it really hadn't surprised me that it kind of robbed some of the other venue of shooters uh because those bow hunters that had tried target archery once asa got cranked up uh, they they converted back to something that appealed more to them you know and that's great you know i mean we just want to keep people in archery you know it's uh
0: not everybody's gonna like every venue
2: and uh you know that, Dave. So
0: that's right. That's absolutely right. And hence, this podcast—we're just trying to educate people on everything possible out there.
1: Yeah. Yep. You have a lot of complaint. If you, if what you're telling me is that the known yardage ASA people are primarily the hunting background, the bow hunting background people, we sure do a lot of complaining about having limbs and having to shoot through trees and having having a little bit of obstruction in the lanes for some for some bow hunting fellas
2: well i don't i don't shoot through limbs and trees when i'm bow hunting either so uh you know uh that's that's just a debatable subject i guess but
1: uh i i just kind of like i like to think of it more as a as a even level of of competition playing field uh, not to see who can pull off the best trick shot it's yeah. not to see who can who can sneak an arrow in between those two branches and hit that hit that ring. And it's like, well, if we're going to have a contest for shooting at the middle or shooting closest to the spot, let's make sure everybody can wall up an arrow through there.
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs>
1: That's, that tickled me. Um, so you do quite a bit of quite a bit of tournament shooting during the off year, and then bow hunting season comes, and you're you're crawling in a tree, right?
2: yeah uh my start was in hunting you know like like most guys uh that was that was my passion when i first picked up a bow was to be able to hunt with it um unfortunately you only hunt three or four months out of the year so uh if you like to shoot a bow you got to figure out something to do those other seven or eight or nine months and so that's where the tournament started coming in. And, uh, you know, if we had hunting seasons 12 months out of the year, well, uh, I probably wouldn't have won very many tournaments because I'd have been hunting. So. so what's your favorite hunt?
0: What do you like to go hunt?
2: Oh, of course, my biggest thing, you know, I mean, I've always lived in whitetail country. So, uh, uh, you know, I've hunted, I killed my first whitetail when I was uh, was 17 years old with a bow. Uh, All the hunting I've ever done has been, as far as big game, has been with a bow. I've never shot an animal with a rifle. Um, You know, and I've taken whitetail, mule deer, antelope, black bear, elk,
0: caribou, mountain goat, a lot of turkeys, and. and I know some hogs. How many hogs have you killed this year off your place? Well, there's been
2: there's only been four or five here lately. Uh, (laughs) Lately. But but we've uh, I've had places we had had a place out uh, west of where I live that had lots of hogs and 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 we shot quite a few out there too uh mike palmer a good friend of mine when i was growing up hogs were going crazy in texas and mike and i got notified from a rancher down there he wanted to know if we wanted to come and hog hunt with a bow and mike and i went down there and we shot over a hundred hogs one summer
0: yeah with
2: with recurves and uh on, on one ranch So, uh, you know, there's been, there's been times when, uh, when we have shot a lot of hogs, but, uh, so anyway, right now, you know, I'm looking forward to chasing a big buck come real soon. You know, Neil, Neil just goes out and shoots one without any, any big deal. You know, some of us have to work a little harder than that. So,
1: uh. I just don't like, I don't like sitting in the cold if I know he's not coming by. So if I can shoot him when it's 89 degrees, I'm just as happy to do it, do it then. Um, You know,
2: bow hunting has always been, uh, though I've shot a lot of animals, it's always been the experience of being out in the woods. And uh, I've always just enjoyed sitting there and seeing, seeing what was going on as much as I had you know shooting an animal so uh jennifer my wife she gets uh she gets a little bored so she has to set sit somewhere where she's going to see deer all the time um me if i know there's a big deer in the country well i can sit there all season long and not see anything knowing that that one deer might walk by me any day you know so uh it just depends on what you look at when you go hunting but uh I certainly enjoy being out there and and seeing what's going on.
0: So, what are you hunting with this year?
2: What uh, bow? Yes, I've actually still shooting my PSC. I've got PSC Evo in NTX. Okay. And uh, you know, I've just recently, you know, as well as I do, that I just recently went back to Botex, Uh Shot. Shot PSC this last year, and, and uh, had always had good luck with the Bowtechs. And uh, to be quite honest, this last year, I just I didn't I didn't shoot well. And switching bows uh, with the struggles I was having with my shooting, I just decided to go back to the Bowtech because I had a lot of confidence in it. I'd won a lot of tournaments with it when I was shooting it. And so, uh, you know, as far as target archery, I've graduated back to the back to the Botex,
0: Tell everybody. The, about, well, then tell everybody about your target setup. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, uh, shooting the Reckoning Gen Two, thirty nine inch. Uh, you know, it, it's just a great bow. I've had it. Uh, oh, how long have I had it? little over a month month and a half i guess uh you know and there's a lot to that bow i mean that it's one of the finest bows i think that's ever been created uh the adjustment that you have as far as let off draw length you can make the bow feel any way you want want it to feel and uh that to me is very important uh you know, you've got to have something that naturally feels good to you uh, when you pick it up. Because if anything is feeling foreign, if the grip doesn't feel right, if the let-off is not right, uh, you know, the cam's too aggressive. If if any of that doesn't feel right to you, it's it's hard to adjust to it. So the reckoning, you can make that bow basically feel any way you want it to feel. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to this coming year. Uh,
0: so so you got the new Bowtech. You and I talked a lot over the last year, especially after I got mine. Uh-huh. You know, because I, 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 I picked your brain a lot on the style of shot that you had with your older Bowtech. Everything from A to Z on it. Now... What is, what's the starting point for Rick when he gets a new bow? What what do you do? Let's help out some of these beginners that are getting new equipment this year. What what, what do you do to get started?
2: Well, uh, of course, you you have your initial setup. Uh, Most guys know roughly what their draw length is, peep height. So you, you do your initial setup, or I do my initial setup. And do an initial tune, which the bowtech's easiest bow in
0: the world to tune, so that doesn't take very long. Define to people what you call tune. Just explain it to them.
2: Yeah. Well, initially, I do like everybody. Initially, I shoot through paper. Uh, I shoot a bare shaft through paper at different distances. You know, eight or ten feet, twenty feet, thirty feet, on out as far as I've decided to shoot uh, with this bow, I can get a bear shaft to shoot good at 50 yards. So it's, uh, you know, it's, you do that initial tune, but my big, my big thing with a bow, with a compound bow is getting the bow to sit there and aim and give me the sight picture that I want to see that's comfortable for my type of shot. Um, So I work a lot on a new bow and that's what I've been doing the last few weeks is just playing with all different let-offs, draw lengths, uh, holding weights and getting the bow to aim the way I want it to aim. The sight picture that I want to see, the type of float I like. Because if, if, if I don't get that sight picture that appeals to me, then my execution doesn't materialize. You know, I'm hesitating on the shot uh, because I'm not seeing the type of sight picture I want to see. So I spent a lot of I spend a lot of time getting a bow to aim the way I want it to aim and feel the way I want it to feel. Uh, you know, tune, you know, people, everybody's all... Up nowadays in tuning bows and getting them to shoot perfect bullet holes and a lot of uh they go way out of their way trying to make a bow work for them and you know I truly i i have I don't think I have ever shot a bow compound that was shooting a perfect bullet hole that when I took it outside at long range, it would shoot the type of groups that I wanted it to shoot. You know, you start out there and then you then you go to long range, or I like to go to long range, and I start shooting for groups. And, uh, you know, I'll, my general rule of thumb, if, if I'm shooting yards i'll i'll put a sheet of paper behind the target where the dot is and i'll start shooting arrows and i'll shoot maybe 20 or 30 arrows and then i'll look at the pattern on those arrows if i'm getting high and low shots left and right shots or if i'm just generally not grouping you know as well as i'm aiming but Usually, you'll get a high and low group or a
0: left and right group. All right. All right. Hold hold on a second, Rick. You just gave a nugget, a gold nugget to everybody right there. And let's see if everybody else picked it up. You put a piece of paper behind the target, aim in the center, make whatever adjustment you want, shoot it, 10 shots, 20 shots, a full game, whatever. Take the paper out, make another adjustment, put another piece of paper back there, and then compare the pattern to see what was best. Yes. Oh my gosh.
2: Because you have, you know, too many people make changes and they'll shoot five or six arrows, you know, and then, and then they'll, want to move on to another change and and to me it takes a lot longer than that to evaluate a change but I have to see it I mean I, I have to see the results and by putting the paper back there I can go back and look at every setup I've got see the changes I've made, how it changes the group uh, if I went the wrong way you know and it's time consuming but that's just the way I do it. Uh, And you'd be surprised at what you learn when you start making, you know, your little center shot adjustments and your knocking point adjustments on how it
0: changes your groups. I'm stealing that. I I want you to know I'm stealing that right there. That's awesome.
2: You just have to, uh, you know, and that, that's the the thing that, some people i think don't understand about these uh, newer bows is when you make a change and you try to evaluate it you can't evaluate it in 10 arrows you know if i make a change and i've just gone through this with the reckoning usually i shoot it five days You know, I'll shoot 100 to 200 arrows each time. And at the end of five days, then I will be able to tell whether that change is working for me or not working for me. To me, I've got to go through five days. I'll have two days that I'll be shooting great. Okay, when you're shooting great, almost any setup will work. You'll shoot pretty good groups with any setup because you're just... Your timing's good those days. Everything's clicking, you know, and you're you're just, it's all working. But a change to me is evaluated more on the days when you're not shooting good than on the days when you're shooting good. Because when you're not shooting good, when you're having those days that are a little rough, your timing's a little off, and you're struggling a little bit, that's when you want your forgiveness and that's, that's when you want that particular setup to maintain what you were doing on the days you were shooting great. If on those days when you're struggling, things really go to pot and you start scattering arrows everywhere, well, you know that under pressure, that setup's probably not going to work for you, you know but but if 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 the setup holds up on the days that you're struggling a little bit then you're more inclined to have a setup that will work when you get under pressure
0: Uh, i like that that's that's a great way to think and look at it absolutely
2: but you know you can only make one change at a time because you you know if you make one more than one change well you're just then you then you don't know what worked you know so uh, guys, guys that go out and change their draw length and their knocking point and their peep pipes to, to try to make it feel better—they uh, don't know what made it feel better, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so I go, I go through my system of making single changes and just. I just continue to do that. I've, I've been working on this Botech now for maybe five or six weeks, you know, shoot four times a week, four or five times a week and just evaluating my little changes, you know, and each week it gets a little better. You know, the, the groups get better. The, the forgiveness gets better you know and you you get down to these very small detail changes Uh, i shot a couple hours this morning and and i moved my back rod in about an inch and a half you know and my left and right groups improved you know and, and i do i like to do all my evaluating outdoors of course I enjoy shooting outdoors more than indoors anyway. So, but I can just tell a lot more shooting outdoors. Uh, If I'm shooting at 60 or 70 yards, I can tell how my bow's aiming. uh, And I can certainly see the difference in my groups. Indoors, you know, unfortunately, and, and maybe it's because I'm not a great indoor shooter, but I can take marginal setups indoors and shoot the same scores as maybe my best setup. But I can't do that outdoors. You know, uh outdoors my marginal setups will show show out and uh and I'll have problems. So I, I just have more luck evaluating myself at longer distance and and then then when i do go inside i feel like i've got a bow that's aiming as good as it can aim and here's something else i do with my indoor arrows and and not very many guys will do this but as soon in another week or two i'll set up my indoor setup probably but the first thing i'll do is go to 60 yards and i'll group tune it with my indoor arrows and once I get my indoor arrows shooting as good as my outdoor arrows at 60 yards, I feel like I've got a good setup for indoors. And so maybe it's because of my upbringing and shooting outdoors as much as I've shot all my life that I just trust that more and have more confidence in it. I don't know. Well,
0: it's a comfort zone, also. Yeah. Uh, that's true. Uh, yeah, I, I would firmly believe that. It's a comfort zone. And you do know in your, in your own setups that your outdoor is more telling than your indoor uh, game. Right. So uh, I can understand that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's a
2: mental, and, and you know as well as I do, both of you, that uh, once you get your equipment right, you know, all a bow does is repeat itself. We're the ones that throw the variation in
0: into it. The bow doesn't. Whoa, 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 whoa! Wait a minute. There's another nugget. And everybody, quit listening. <laughs> There's no no reason for anything else. Well, I mean, it's true. I mean,
2: you know, we've got a we've got a piece of machine in our hands that it it will repeat itself every time unless you. – string changes or your rest breaks uh but what we're trying to do is find something that works for us and that is forgiving for the style of shot that we have you know so that's the reason we go through all of these fine-tuning techniques is to get the forgiveness Uh, years ago, a good friend of mine, Lloyd Napier, and I, we built a shooting machine. Redman
0: bows, red man bows.
2: Yeah, and yep. we built this shooting machine, and, and we actually did it initially to test our arrows, because we wanted to make sure that the arrows we were shooting were as good arrows as we could get. And this is back when everybody was shooting aluminum. This is before carbon arrows, and Arrows weren't quite as refined as they are now. Anyway, we built this shooting machine, and and we would test our arrows with it and see if the arrows would group. And so then, of course, curiosity got the best of us, so we took bows that were tuned and bows that were untuned and put in the shooting machine, and you know what? They shot exactly the same groups. (laughs) They the groups would not vary at sixty yards. The groups would not vary more than half inch on a bow that was having a two inch tear through paper and a bow that shot a perfect bullet hole. So that just shows you that the bow is repeating itself. Yeah. But a setup like that is certainly not going to be forgiving, you know, to to most shooters. So. That's the reason we all try to, you know, make those changes. But anyway, there's been some interesting times. Uh, You know, the thing about about archery, uh, I have always been a goal setter when I go to tournaments. And what I mean by that is, if if I'm going to uh, the Vegas shoot, well, of course I'll be practicing the Vegas round, and I'll keep an I'll I'll keep I keep record of my scores, and and I'll I'll come up with an average score, you know, before I go to that tournament, and you know, my goal is always to be to carry my practice score to a tournament. I've always felt. That if a person did that, that they've done a pretty good job of preparing for the tournament, you know, so I will get a score in my head and that will be my goal for that tournament. if I go and I shoot that score, shoot that average, it may not win the tournament, but I feel like I've done everything I can do to maintain myself from a calm practice session to a under pressure tournament session. You know, sometime you go to a tournament and you shoot above your goal. Hey, you know, those are the good days, you know, uh, sometime you go to a tournament and you shoot scores below your goal and still win the tournament. Well, that's a bonus too. Uh, I have never and it seems odd but I've I've never gone to a tournament with a goal of winning it because I've always gone to a tournament with the goal of shooting a, per, a, a score that I feel like was realistic because of my practice. Then if that turns out to be a winning score, well, that's a bonus, you know, that's, that's icing on the cake. Uh, you know, so I, that's just how I handle it. Everybody's different in what they do. But, uh,
0: I, I I'm similar to that back when I did shoot 3d, um, I would always to ask the guy, they, they would bark and complain about missing a 12 doing that. And I'm like, well, how far do you shoot for 12s at home? 32, 35, 37, whatever there, that they was. I said, then why'd you shoot at it at 44? Right. You can't go to the Super Bowl and execute a play that you're not good at in practice. Right. And it, it's kind of the similar. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of people are that way.
2: I can, I can tell you what I do on 3D. I have a, I have a specific regimen that I stick to on what I shoot at. And, and I don't ever, hardly very off of it, but uh, you know, I've got I've got a particular distance in mind that if the target's over that particular distance, I don't even shoot for a 12. If it's under that distance, well, I always shoot for a 12. Um, And I just stick to that, and I don't pressure myself into trying to shoot a shot that I don't feel like You know, if if I don't feel like I can make that shot 90% of the time, I don't want to take it. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like hunting. You know, I've always bow hunted because I enjoy the excitement of getting close to an animal. That's what, to me, bow hunting was about when I started. Of course, I started with a recurve and you had to get close. You know, I mean, he he didn't take shots, long shots. So, so that was the big challenge was to get close to the animal and then make a good shot. And you know, to this day, I mean, I still, I still do the same thing, Uh, bow hunting. Uh, I don't, I don't take long shots at animals. I. I don't have any doubt that I could shoot deer 70 or 80 yards but that's not why I got into bow hunting uh, I got into bow hunting because I like to be up close and I like the excitement of having an animal right there in front of you and feeling like that you know I've outsmarted him to the point that, to get that close and 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 you know we were talking about the goals. I kind of got off subject, but we was talking about the goals a while ago, as far as in tournaments and everything. And and I think that's where a lot of people really get disappointed is they don't they don't really keep track of what their practice is, and then they go to a tournament and know that it's going to take X or maybe to win the tournament. And so they have that score in their mind that they need to shoot. Where realistically in practice, maybe they've never even shot that high, you know, and you can't expect to go. Well, where'd we go?
0: Well, we lost your picture, but we can still hear you.
2: Okay. I don't know what happened, but you know, to me, you've, you've got to be a realistic And what you expect when you go to a tournament uh, and not try to put pressure on yourself thinking you're going to shoot some score way above what maybe you're capable of at that particular time. So.
1: I think that's big for indoor season coming up. You always got these guys that want to go shoot two ninety eights, two ninety nines and three hundreds and everything else is just not acceptable. It's like, well, if you're shooting two ninety twos and two ninety fours in practice, I don't think you're gonna tack on a, you know, six points and ten X's onto your your game when you're shooting under a little more pressure. It's generally not the direction it no. goes. You know, I
2: mean building your score up, you know, it's 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 a process Uh, challenging yourself to get a little better. And if you don't keep track of what you're doing, uh, then what do you, you know, what do you put your next goal at? You know, you, you have to have a process to build yourself up and you're always motivated. I mean, most, you know, people some people really get down themselves when they go to a tournament and they shoot poorly and they lose and they don't win and you know and they get way down but that's that's the learning process right there you learn you learn more at some of those tournaments where you have a poor performance than you do at some of them where you shoot really well because you come home and you evaluate that And you figure out where your shortcoming was and what you need to work on. And it's disgusting to go to a tournament and not shoot well. But I've always used that, tried to use that in my favor and say, well, yeah, I didn't perform as well as I wanted to perform. Why didn't I? What part? what was missing in my shot or what was going on in my head that caused me to shoot a subpar round, you know, or, or a lower round than what I know I'm capable of. And so you evaluate that and it gives you something then to work on and strive for and go to the next competition and, and work on that particular part of your shot. And see the improvement and then in turn that builds the confidence it's all in your head you know uh there's a lot of us out there that can shoot well but sometimes we let our head get in the way of shooting you know Uh, we get ahead of ourselves and wanting to shoot better than you know than we're capable of and and put too much pressure on ourselves, and uh Causes problems, so
0: I'm I'm gonna take a half a step back here, Rick, and ask you a question. Since you just went through a new bow setup, um, when you get this and you, in theory, what we're calling setup, you know, put your rest on, knock, Pete, um, get it shoot. What makes you choose your type and size of arrow, tip weight, all of that? when you first start with a brand new bow and how quick are you to say, I don't think that's going to work with this setup and flip and switch to another style. Is it, you just know what works for your style, your shot, and you just go with what you've been doing or do you, is that the time you want to try something different?
2: Well, I, I actually just went through that. Uh, you know, you, When you've shot as long as I've shot, well, you have a pretty good idea of what spine arrow, what point weight is going to probably work for you. Um, But I always have, I have lots of arrows and, uh, you know, so I go through several different spine of arrows as far as outdoor setups several different spines of arrows, several different point weights, and I'm basically tuning them and shooting long range with them and see which one shoots best. Um, Indoors, to me, indoors is is harder to evaluate an arrow than it is outdoors. (laughs) Uh, You know, I can play with... Uh, well last few year or two i've shot the ps26 black black eagles uh, i always shot 2712 Easton aluminums before that um, i've got a variety of different point weights but the the change to me the change is so small indoors that I don't know mm-hmm. It's harder. It's harder for me to evaluate that than it is outdoors. Uh, I can stand at eighty yards and and you know in three or four days, I can tell you if an arrow is going to work or if it's not going to work. Um, so I, I don't know. If that's well, to that, answer your question. I got back again.
0: That's all. I was just thinking. Well, let's just find out. You know you
2: you are much better that, at evaluating indoor arrows than I am. Uh, we've talked we've talked about this before, you know, and and I know I know how you evaluate and how you uh, test indoor arrows. Uh, I mean, that's, that's your thing, and you're – I don't know whether I don't have the patience of doing that <laughs> or whether I don't have the confidence to be able to say this is that much better. I mean, you know
0: well, – Rick, i, I, I to break it down r- real simple. It's something you said a long time ago that – to me, ultimately, it doesn't matter how you think of the arrow. It all goes back to the one thing you've always said: you got to track it with and keep score. Outside of scoring, what's it matter?
2: Right, and that—that's yeah. the whole key, you know. And uh, you know, you, you just on a Vegas round, you know, you—it's a lot finer line than me shooting at 80 yards at a field target. Uh, you know, in a Vegas, it may be a setup that gains you two X's over a period of time, which is very little. But in the indoor game, it's not very little. Two X's may be the difference in, in you winning, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, I probably don't uh, use as much patience as I should indoors on my setups. Uh,
0: but but you said yourself, you your concentration for archery is outdoors, field hunting, then indoors. <laughs> indoors falls behind your hunting, even doesn't it? Yeah. Yes,
2: yeah, yeah, it does. Uh,
0: I I don't know. I
2: just uh, I, I really get tired of shooting indoors, and that's the reason this time of year, you know, everybody's gearing up for indoors and getting ready and shooting. And man, hey, this is the best time in the world to be outdoors shooting because the weather's just great. <laughs> and I realize there's no tournaments coming up, but that doesn't matter to me. I mean, I just enjoy shooting my bow and and so i stay outdoors evaluating equipment thinking about what i'm going to set up for next outdoor season and get all that straight in my head this time of year and uh, and then when it gets so cold that i can't stand out there and shoot well i go inside and start shooting <laughs> so
1: it would be it would be pretty good to get some some good 80, 70 and 80 degree weather days to uh, get that, get it all tuned up, get the skinny arrow bow, because it seemed like this year was just really, really a rush in getting the skinny arrows tuned and going to a tournament, switching, basically swi- switching over between a fiber and a dot, all that stuff. It, it, I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying about that five day thing to make a change when I'm tuning in, I'm trying to, you know, move the rest and get them to group tune at 60 or, or even further. I get so much shot anxiety trying to say, okay, well, this has got to be a good day because we're trying to, you know, we're trying to evaluate if moving the rest or moving the knocking point or the holding weight, whatever it is, trying to get it, give it a fair shake, you know, trying to put together some good arrows That's where most of my breakdown and shot processes kind of come from just because I know it's okay. It's not, they're not going to be in the middle, but they're going to be off to the left, but I want to see how, how tight I can wad them up at 60 yards. That, that alone makes me more nervous than any tournament that I've ever shot in. I don't know if anybody else kind of might feel the same way. Tuning, tuning and tinkering with it for me is more nerve wracking than going to Vegas. Because by the time I'm there, I'm done thinking about it. You know, I've, I've, you know, I'm not one of those people that'll go to a tournament and make a major change. I've seen some people do it like out of necessity, but adding an ounce to the stabilizer or, or changing arrows or anything. I think Bodie did it in between winning, winning Lancaster and going to Vegas the next week. But that's, you know, Bodie can probably get away with it. For the rest of us mere mortals, it's kind of you know, gets to that day a week or so out. And I'm pretty much set on what I'm going to do with it. I don't
0: well, know. Yeah. And for me, it's, I'm, I'm very, I trust what I got right now. That's why I'm shooting it. Um, and I have to have a real reason to make a wholesale change, um, not tweaking the pounds or tweaking the holding. I'm talking like I'm going through it right now. Um, I'm 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 making a wholesale change, um, and it's it's arrows, and Bud, I'm telling you, I'm I'm happy to really talk myself into why this is better, and I've been keeping score since Saturday with this new setup, and I'm averaging considerably better. It's just it's it's really blowing my mind what what the change is and. It's an identical setup on the arrow, but it's a brand change. And I'm going to tell you, um, I've had them for about three weeks. And, eh, okay, I I put them to the side. and I thought when I first got them, well, they're okay, but I don't see any reason to change from what I got because um, they seem to shoot just fine. Well, Saturday I went to my warehouse and I decided I'm just going to do it. I, I'm i going to cite them in because you always think that they group good, so I actually took my sight because I have two sets of sights: one for my um, USA Archery, my 23 series, and then one for my 27 series. So I flipped, I grabbed my 27 or my 23 series uh, sight, and decided I'm just going to sight them in with that, so that if I'm not comfortable with it at the end of the day, I'm I'll just put it right back on with my gold tips and keep going, and. So yeah, I've I'm making that decision. To me, is what's hard. Um, I've shot them three days. I've increased every single day, um, but I'm not sold on setting my gold tips down yet. I'm I'm I've still got that in my head that how how good are they? Are they really that much? I don't know. I don't know. So, but I'm with you. That's why I look at stuff as I've got I got to measure the difference.
2: Yeah, and and. And as you continue to go, and if it continues to run the way it is, then you know, then mentally, confidence-wise, you start it starts soaking in, you know, and you say, Hey, now this is a real deal. This is working. Uh, you know, I'm gonna stay with this. And and anytime you evaluate anything on your bow that you change uh you know if you're you're a competitive person that's r- really working hard to you know try to try to improve well it's all mental and that's the reason that's the reason keeping records helps that mental aspect you know you can see on paper what has happened hey this is better than what i've been doing yes and and that instantly gives you that that feedback, that confidence in your, you know, that, yes, I do have the best setup that I can get. This is working, and, uh, you know, you continue to improve. So that's, you know, that's the important part about keeping records and keeping track of what you're doing is... It helps you evaluate, yes, but it also gives you confidence when you see that it is working that much better than what you previously had. Uh,
0: I, I can't disagree. And, and I I like testing. I like learning from the testing and trying to diagnose what I've tested. Um uh, in that last podcast, uh, Neil and I did with a uh, um, gentleman out of California. I don't know if you listen to podcast Rick, or not, but yeah, we had went, okay. I had went over um, arrows and the turning and, and how many times they turned down range. And I had one gentleman ask me and talk to me about it. And he was like, well, isn't that exactly what everybody says fletch is supposed to do? It's supposed because we talked about in it. um, I, I made the comment at nine yards, it had already spun half of what it's going to be spinning throughout the whole shot cycle while it's in the air. And I said, Yes, exactly. I said, But so the people that believe in the theory that four fletch is more forgiving than three fletch, that's exactly what it's doing, it is correcting more. In the front side of the shot. And so I I I don't disagree with that whatsoever. So in the first night, for now, this is my setup, my shot, my arrows, the way I release, and all that. And so that that the guy didn't quite understand what I was talking about. He he, because he was hung up with, well, if it's 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 spinning more, then isn't it correcting more? Yes, it is. In theory, that's exactly why you got the fourth one on there over the third one. Um, but for me, I wanted more correction all the way through the shot, all the way down, because it was losing so much at 20 yards at 15, 18, and 20. It was losing so much correctability that the the – three fletch stayed at the same consistency all the way through and it would hold up down all the way correcting. So, and it's just more of what you like and, and and your style of shot. So getting really deep testing is important, but I think reading the results of your test are just as important.
2: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've got to be able to understand just like you just, demonstrated uh, you've got to be able to understand the long long-term benefits of your change you know and and uh so you've you know you've proven to yourself that the three-fletch is going to maintain itself much better
0: than four yeah for my setup but it may for not your- be for someone else cuz they may not have the same um, um offset they may go different um my knock the pinch on the knock um it's coming off the string different i mean so for my setup that was the that is the best for me and and i got complete confidence in that three vein i don't yeah. have anything in no blood flowing in my veins it says I need to try that for. Nope, nothing tells me I need to.
2: you know, and that's what that's what guys have to realize is that archery is so individual that even though we sit here and talk about things that we do, there are half a dozen different ways that you can do a lot of these you know different things as far as tuning and group tuning and setting up indoor errors and outdoor errors. I mean there's there's a lot of a lot of ways a guy can go about doing it. What I've said is just my way of that I've learned to do it and that I'll have confidence in and feel like for me I come up with the best setup possible for my style of shooting. Um uh, you know you run in the test with the fletching a guy that uh, I think you cut your arrows pretty short. Like I do kind of in front of the rest. Yes. A lot of guys shoot indoor arrows that have a lot of arrows sticking out in front of the rest. They would probably get totally different results from your test Mm -hmm. than than what you got. Yes. So, so they would have to evaluate their, (laughs) their system of, for themselves, you know, so uh, it's it's hard it's hard for people to say that this works you know you have to say that it works for me or works for you. it doesn't mean that it works for everyone, and there's a lot of guys out there that uh you know when bodie went to lancaster last year well uh he changed arrows and and put some real light points in at the tournament right before the tournament uh shot <laughs> one of the high score arrows well i mean how high, high scores ever shot a perfect 660 well so did everybody run home and you know take all the points out of their arrows and put light points in there and uh just because it worked for Bodhi doesn't mean it's gonna work for me. Uh, first of all, Bodie's execution is so flawless that uh <laughs> Yeah. That he could he could probably shoot a piece of uh dowel rod and and beat me most of the days. But
0: uh probably take the tip out and beat us.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you have to take all that in consideration, but but still, I think the important point that's been made is, if you're going to evaluate something, keep good enough records so that in your mind you know for sure that it's helped you, or, or that it hasn't helped you, you know, and not just shoot it for thirty minutes
0: and uh, pass judgment on it. So, but don't you also feel that man, you know, immediately if this isn't going to work.
2: Yeah. Sometime you can make a change and, and it's, it's just not right. You know, uh, there's, there's some occasions where I've made changes and I've just said, no, that's, that's not going to work. And I, even then I probably shoot it two different times, at least a couple of different times, you know, um, and and a lot of times it'll I'll evaluate it on how I'm shooting personally. You know, uh, if I'm having a rough day, well, that's not a good day to say that it doesn't work. You know, uh, so I'll, I'll shoot it again till you know hit a day when when I am shooting better and and can see how it works under good shooting conditions. And then if you have another rough day and it doesn't work again, well, then you know, it's probably not going to work for you, you know? Yeah. So it's just, uh, I think it just boils down to to keeping good enough records that when you finally make a decision on what you're going to shoot, just like with your arrows right now, when you finally make that decision, you feel like you've, done enough testing shot under enough different conditions days when you're shooting good days when you're shooting rough and it's still held up score-wise that you can confidently say you know this is the era that i'm going to be carrying to tournaments this year you know
0: so
1: Are you asleep, Neil? No, I'm here. I'm listening. I'm thinking about my the the last time I called you on my outdoor bow. Um, uh-huh. Thinking about those arrows that they're too they're not long enough to cut down. But I'm like, okay, they might be underspined. Thinking about shooting them with my bow bottomed out. I'm adding about three pounds to see if that helps them correct a little better. Thinking about going to a three fletch from a four fletch. And then thinking about going to an altogether stiffer spine, because 400, 400 at 59, 60, 61 pounds is kind of starting to push it. And thinking about all those left-hand left left-handed arrows I would get that when I shoot it too strong, I push them straight 9 o'clock. And I'm like, this is something that, thinking about more or less, more or less weight, you know, take it all the way down to... 55, 56 pounds to see if it likes them better, or if I'm going straight to a straight to a stiffer spined arrow with probably the same 120 in the front um, and keeping my holding weight the same. So if I know something's not right and I'm trying to put an order in, okay, let's try it three fletch or you know, maybe try heavier point weight, lighter point weight um, re- just don't know where to where to start because it's going to either come out of me, it's going to come out of me if I'm shooting more or less weight or if I'm trying to evaluate a different arrow, like what's the, what's the best way to have this skinny arrow bow put together for next year. I'm like, man, it'd be good to go figure it out at nice 78 degree day instead of 117 degree heat. <laughs> I'm thinking about all the times I, I struggled this summer trying to get it done in a single day. Whereas if I would have went into it with the ideas like, okay, you have five days from changing your, moving the air rest around trying to walk back to, if I would have, if I, I think I would have had such a better time shooting outdoor, if I would have looked at it, like every change, give it five days and and plan on one of those five days being a bad day. Cause you shoot strong, you shoot strong, you know, third day, you're a little worn down fourth day. You feel good again. And fifth day, the wind's bad plan on having a bad weather day to shoot plan on having a, a day where you're you know your shoulders is tired you shoot i know you said you shot 100 to 200 arrows but how much how much different my year would have gone if i'd have just looked at it that way instead of gotta tune it got one day to do it and we're leaving tomorrow for a tournament
2: you <laughs> know
1: oh well, man
2: you know and it I have, and a lot of people have this same theory on arrows and arrow spine, but I really, I think you have a hard time getting an arrow that's, I don't think you can get an arrow that's too stiff for a compound. You can get an arrow that's too weak. It won't work. It won't shoot well for you. But I think nine times out of ten, if you stay on the stiff side of whatever you're trying to shoot, that a guy can make it work. You may have to play with point weight a little bit. Um, I played a little bit here with some some arrows that I think were really marginal outdoors as far as spine. And with this new bow, I went to a, I, I shot those arrows for several weeks. Then I went to a stiffer arrow and the forgiveness in the groups just changed,
0: you know, almost immediately. Have you ever heard this old scenario? Um, and I picked it up off of a um, an arrow manufacturer rep. And I can't. I, I think this is the way he explained it to me. The length of your arrow, carbon to carbon, to all of it. Not how much over your rest or or what your draw length. It's it's your it's your carbon to carbon cut. Um, every inch over twenty nine inches, you add five pounds to your actual shooting weight. Let's say it's say it's fifty pounds and you got a 31-inch arrow, you would go find the arrow for a 60-pound bow if your arrow is over 29 inches. So that, and, and there was that scenario that I, I've always used since I got such a long draw and my arrows are always long. Um, if, if I if I can get my arrow down to 31 inches, that's three inches over, so I need to add 15 pounds on top of my actual true bow weight mm-hmm. find the proper spine that i need to be shooting have you ever heard that that um formula before i, I haven't heard that
2: particular f- formula but yeah. i can imagine with your long draw shooting an arrow as long as you shoot that that certainly Changes, you know, the spine that you would shoot compared to maybe what I would shoot. I mean, I, yeah, I can understand exactly why those gold tip triple X's were working for you. But they're the stiffest thing out there. You know, they're, I think, a 150 spine probably, and at your length, I can see where that
0: would probably be a really good error for you. You know, know, I I was getting the same score with 100 grain tip, 120 grain tip, 150, 175. The scores were all remaining the same, but I would see it start dropping below a 10 line. That's why I settled on the 120s was just for the little bit flatter trajectory. Um, So, yes, that's that's how I settled on mine. But. Yeah, whenever I would, if I had to go buy something for, like, the USA Archery, would I, the pounds that I shoot tells me to be buying a 400 or 450 spine. But there's no way um, that I could get him to fly. I got better with a 300 spine with my light pounds simply because of that formula that was explained to me.
1: Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, with a, being 33 wherever you are up there uh, i'm actually talking carbon to
0: carbon so but
1: uh, yes as a as a result of that you're you're shooting a, a spine for a 75 85 pound bow just based on the length and 150 200 300 those are all right in the right in that sweet spot for whatever the equivalent of plus five pounds per inch over 29 inches on the arrow yeah, there's, there's there's a couple of them on there. So you'd be a
0: with you with your outdoor rig, Neil, you was talking about, you have any clue off the top of your head what that is? And you know you pound your pounds you're shooting. How far off of twenty nine are you? Uh
1: pretty far under. I'm twenty eight draw and they're cut down inch in front of the blade. So they're they're under twenty eight inch arrow. Okay. Yeah, I think. They're either 27 or 27 and a half something like that.
0: Okay. I didn't know where you were setting on that and so I didn't know if that would assist in you trying to decide if dropping down to 350 would assist it would help.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I think I think if I got another set of the 166s, I'd probably go to a Victory and they I think they come in 300 and 340. So, definitely down to the 340, maybe all the way down to 300. <laughs> because i like that i like the i like just a little bit more holding weight than it has at 59 um probably just gonna let go ahead and bottom the limbs out see what it see what it feels like when it holds if i can get that sight picture to stay still because something about shooting it under pressure or trying to shoot it too hard like we shot we shot practice ends at 60 before the state 900, and I think my practice ends were 58 and 59, which is pretty good for me at 60. Um, start scoring and go down to 53, 54, and 55. You know, just drop drop like that, and every miss is, str- is just left. No high or low. Um, just straight 9 o'clock. So something about shooting the bow too strong is – either flexing them out there could be a stabilizer thing could be an aerospine thing probably just a kneel thing but that's that's kind of what i would like to have figured out even before i go to tweaking on the indoor bow because it's as long as i shoot it good it shoots good the, the indoor bow I, I don't feel like i could realistically make any kind of change to between now and december you know just need to get the reps in and get comfortable shooting 120 arrows a day that's kind of where I'm at with that, but the outdoor bow is sitting there, like, oh man, it's, you know, it's going to be. Well, I don't know what they've set the schedule until November, but you know, field will be here before you know it, being like next May. I'm like, great, <laughs> we got some more deadlines to get through. Can't can't wait to get to those. Yikes. Yeah, I'm sorry. I haven't haven't skinny arrow flashbacks from all the all the arrows I missed all year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you're going out and shooting a field round and shooting a twenty on the eighty yard walk up, but you're blowing four out of four arrows left at twenty five yards and it's not your center shot and it's not your and it's not your third axis on your scope. Like, well, I don't know what I don't know what else it could be.
0: Turn your hat around <laughs> backwards, take all your change out of your left pocket, put it in your right pocket. Um, yeah, what what was that ten cup show that we had that, that they uh cheat or chong whatever it was was telling him to do when he was gupping those uh, uh golf balls uh
1: haven't haven't seen that one, oh but my gosh that's a classic tin cup nah.
0: go watch it go Ten watch. Cup.
1: I'll go check it out um yeah no we could try moving the moving the wallet from the right to the left side um, that's about that's about it um but yeah, I think I, I think both of you I think both of you had helped me at some point in the year on that bow, Dave. That's the one we we got into the the can of foot spray with, setting the setting the center shot, making sure that the only thing touching the arrow was the launcher blade. Checked the timing on it. Sprayed it. We, we had tenactin everywhere. I mean, we had it on the bow. We had it on the arrows. Um, I just, it's I just the one that it
0: on us when it was said and done beg pardon i said probably ended up on us before it was said and done
1: golly yeah that was that was miserable um trying to shoot with a bunch of foot powder right up right up your bottom nostril there (laughs) they got to find a way to make that stuff unscented
0: but but rick what was funny was i sprained it while he was at full draw
2: Uh, <laughs> you all need to make some tuning videos with that so you know the rest of us could enjoy it.
1: The TK and Mike of Archery. <laughs> uh, hey, we, can, we, can be a, we can be a sideshow act. That's fine. I don't I don't mind I've I've made a spectacle of myself many a day with a bow in a hand. Uh, sometimes sometimes by showing everybody what not to do. <laughs> I've had, I've had them. We've all been there. It's been there. I think I, I'm really looking forward to this upcoming indoor season. I mean, it, it's gonna be good to get out of the heat for another year and just shoot some short stuff. Um, I don't think I near I don't think I look forward to it nearly as much last year, but having traveled all over and have getting to, you know, go to the weekly jackpots or the weekend tournaments or a little bit of five spot stuff here and there, it's like okay. We can we can we can get behind this now that uh I guess hunting season's over, so it's just just indoor now. <laughs> uh, Dave, Dave, Dave's been waiting for that one. You have two buck tags, you know. <laughs> that I never, got,
0: really don't say nothing.
1: <laughs> i I might be I might be sneaking out to the stand Thursday. Maybe tomorrow tomorrow's Tuesday, maybe tomorrow. It'd be a long drive tomorrow, but Thursday it'll be a short drive. So I think the wind's going like 21 miles per hour out of the South. So I'll be back in the, back in the tripod, sitting on the corn pile. There you go. (laughs) Rick, we were talking earlier about deer hunting strategy and you said you'd much rather catch them coming to and from than sitting over the corn. That's a, it's a kind of an interesting strategy.
2: Well, I mean, I don't know how long we want this show to go, but, uh, I have a, I have a theory about that. I just, you know, I grew up hunting deer the old fashioned way. I mean, when I grew up hunting deer, we didn't put out corn. You know, we scouted, we found, you know, trails, tracks, fence crossings, funnels. That's the way we hunted deer. Uh, And that's the way I still hunt deer. I don't like sitting in a place. I, I When deer come in to feed, they're always on edge, you know. I don't think big bucks really like to come into places like that. Sure, they do. Uh, And guys kill a ton of them over, over it. But I've just always enjoyed the challenge of figuring out what a deer was doing and not just sitting there hoping he's going to come to my polycorn, you know?
0: See, uh, I kind of had that same philosophy, Rick, when I was dating back when I was a teenager and that got me nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh. <laughs> but it'd
1: been a different world back there. Now, <laughs> I guess they're all, you look for your, look for your women on your phone the same way you look for your deer.
0: <laughs> I, I, they, bait, and, I, I bait them with a steak and barbecue. <laughs> that'd
1: be good. That'd be good. So yeah, I'm. I guess I'd. I'd probably be the opposite of that. I. I've got cameras, and I've been trying to catch where they're coming and going. But I think I've basically got them around. I've got one on the actual corn and then i've got five going to and from it based on where they go bed which way i see them when i'm sitting in the stand and really i've just got the staging areas covered it's the same deer going from one camera to the next but none of them are my uh, target bucks they'll show up on the main camera when they pass by the feeder or they actually go get a bite but i never catch them coming and going so i'm there's using somewhere in between and this is this is six cameras on Probably five acres of trees. I mean, the first thirty-seven acres are nothing but pasture, and we're hunting on just the back little little crop of trees. So I know they're back there, and I know they get all the way into the corn without me getting a picture on any five cameras of them. So they're either learning to climb trees or flying. I guess is best explanation I can figure out why they're. I only get pictures of them at the corn and nowhere else. So (laughs) it just uh there's an art to it is what you're telling me
2: yeah there is man they're hard to figure out and there's there's some of those bucks that you don't ever ever figure out you know but uh you know we've got a buck well i sent you a picture of a couple of bucks i think and
1: oh yeah you did (laughs) oh those are those are a couple good ones
2: the buck on the left uh you know is is a pretty nice nice buck and and I'm working on figuring out what he's doing. And I think I pretty much understand where he's going and where he's ending up at night and things. So uh, I get a little more cool weather and he gets on his feet a little more. Well, uh, I think I'm try to get in front of him and see if I can make something work on him. But uh, I don't know. I just enjoy I just enjoy doing that. I hate I hate sitting, you know, I've hunted in Texas quite a bit with, with a good friend down there. And, and that's the only way they hunt. You know, everything's over corn. I just hate crawling out of a tree in the evening and there's deer all around you. And you don't know what's standing out there in the brush that might be fixing to come in that you educate when you crawl down out of your tree. And uh, I just feel more comfortable. You know, hunting travel patterns and things like that, where you can still have a deer out there when you climb down. But normally, you can see better, and and the deer aren't just hanging around there. And you you don't have a bunch of does standing around there that you you know may blow out when you climb down. And it's just my way of hunting. There again, everybody has their way. They they like to hunt. There's not a right way or a wrong way. I'm not a I'm not against any
1: of. When you say having them having them around you, I, I deal with that just about every time. Those ones that come in right at dark, and you know they're getting they're getting smart every time you walk out, and you got to blow them out of there. Um, Dan's told me to take a a predator call, take a coyote call, and squeal it a few times, and they'll run off because they don't like it, but they don't they don't know it's a human so much right. as we think it might be a dying rabbit. haven't tried that one yet. Best solution I can get for it is whatever does come in that might be hanging around. Um, I make sure and shoot them. <laughs> and that seems to, that seems to help me getting out of the woods. They don't mind it so much when you're, you know, you don't, you don't have to crawl out with your, with your boots slung over your pack there, get down to your socks and move every leaf before you put your foot down. Just, uh, have the guy running yeah. the tractor come down the hill? <laughs> no, it, <laughs> it 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 it's hard for me because I would always, you know, I I take two or three four does a year, no problem. But now every sit is I'm hunting a big deer. I can't I can't be shooting those does. We got to be, you know, we got to focus and get this big deer killed to get back to indoor season with Dave. So <laughs> I'm not I'm yeah. not not getting nearly the shot opportunities that we usually are.
2: Yeah. And I think sometimes that's wrong for people to get caught up in like that. Uh, you know, I always tell Jennifer, I said, you know, and she's, she shot a ton of deer and she shot some good deer, but I always tell her, I said, you know, if a deer comes in and you'd be happy shooting it, shoot it. You know, I don't care how big it is. I don't care how old it is. I don't care what it is. Uh, just because I sit around all year and try to wait on a big buck, uh, I do that because that's what gives me satisfaction, you know. Uh, plus, I know that she's going to fill the freezer for us. So uh, I don't have to, you know, I don't have to do that. But everybody, you know, I, I think there's way too much emphasis on people that have not hunted a lot. Uh, and have not shot a lot of game, and they get caught up in the syndrome of, is this buck old enough? Is this buck mature enough for me to shoot? You know, if it'll make you happy, shoot it. You know, I, I, I just, I don't uh, totally agree with that. That, and, I, and the reason I don't totally agree with it is, Unless you've got a piece of property that is so big that you can pass up deer and they will uh, stay on that property to an older age and get bigger racks, then that's fine. But I hunt a piece of property right now that's 160 acres. A buck that's on my place right now during the rut, he's liable to be two miles from me, you know it's not going to do me a lot of good to pass him up because there's gun hunting in every direction around me. And, you know, if it's a decent buck, even though he might not be a five and a half year old buck, somebody's going to see that set of horns coming through the woods and they're going to shoot him, you know? So I think a person has to, you know, has to just, take a look at it and say you know i would be happy with that deer and not let some of the age and age structure get in the way uh like i say you're hunting big property you can control that a little more but when you're hunting little property people have no idea how far some of these bucks travel uh I used to own a ranch that we had a buck that the ranch had raised and it had a pink color around its neck. And this ranch was 22,000 acres, uh, the Mullendore Ranch. And uh, I saw that buck in the southwest corner of the ranch one morning. And a friend of mine saw it in the northeast corner of the ranch that afternoon. That's six miles. Oh, yeah. That that deer moved in less than 12 hours. Six miles. And so, you know, just because a guy passes up a buck, trying to hope he'll be back next year and be a year older and have a bigger rack unless you've got enough property to hold all those deer on well uh chances are if there's any hunting pressure around you he's gonna gonna disappear so everybody just has to use their own judgment on that Uh, but i think if you haven't done a lot of hunting that uh you maybe shouldn't get caught up in that age structure thing quite as much as some people do. That's my opinion. So (laughs) everybody has has to be their own judge,
0: you know, greatly appreciate you coming on and we know it's been a long time. I got two things. First thing is, is, um, kind of start thinking a little bit on, uh, your sponsor list. Um, we want to give a shout out to everybody that's helped you out and everything. Um, and we've kind of got a public service announcement. Um, we're going to call it that. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right thing or not, but we've been asked um, here in Oklahoma City. There's a team. It's called the Oklahoma Storm Joad Team. They're having public um, tryouts for their team. They're they've had uh, kids graduate, move on to college. And that is the purpose of what Tom and Kathleen Stevenson do is we're actually trying to get Tom on the show to talk about a lot of other things. Folks that don't know Tom, you're missing out. The man is a beyond wealth of knowledge whenever it comes to archery. But he is having a team tryout October 21st from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. at H&H Sporting Goods. I will put in our link – I'm sorry, I'll put uh, down in the description all the little details about it, um, how to contact him, and everything like that. So we want to make sure we keep our Joad kids someplace to shoot and a team environment. So if you ever – something comes up in your area and you want us to to talk about it, please just send it to Neil or send it to myself – and we'll be happy to bring it up and, and chat about it. Uh, you yeah, Tom, Tom,
2: Tom does a great job with those kids, and 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 boy, you're right. You know, the future of the sport is in those kids. So we we all need to do everything we can to to support those organizations and clubs, and yeah, and uh, you know, keep those young kids involved in our sport.
0: And just think of your story, how you started out. You were a kid. You started shooting. And, and look at the lifelong um, uh, environment it's brought you, the friendships you've met across the nation. So that that story in itself goes exactly with what we we just spoke about.
2: Yes. Yes, it does.
0: Yeah. Well, so I, you're
2: I sure appreciate y'all having me on. Uh, i enjoyed visiting with you and and uh, i enjoy always enjoy talking about archery of course and and uh, i appreciate what you are doing with your podcast keeping the sport in front of a lot of people um you know and 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 helping educate people in in things that they can do as as far as you know archery um I just think that it's good for oklahoma and and good for the sports, so I appreciate what you are doing and uh uh appreciate the opportunity to come on and visit with you
0: well it's it's our honor sir we we truly do respect um everybody that that's that's helped us and Rick you've helped both of us we we know that um and and thank you for for that um
1: no, you. I was going to say the same thing. I, every time I call Rick for advice, I, I got to make sure I've gone through every other option. Cause I know whatever order of troubleshooting a bow, he's going to tell me is that's going to be the recipe. And I got to have it all. got to have it all dialed in up till there before I go there. But I appreciate you bailing me out and kind of talk, talking me through some options. I know, I know that it, it's a, uh, it's an art form to to watch some of you guys throw a bow together. And I've seen you tear your bow apart it in the middle of a pro-am and, and go shoot it the next day. Like it wasn't no big deal. I'm like, golly, that just absolutely, absolutely crazy. So I, I appreciate you giving us, giving us some of your time. Where are you going to, uh, say you get one of those, those big deer killed that you sent me a picture of where are you going to take them to have them taxidermied?
2: Oh, well, j- j- Jimmy, it look alive. Taxidermy always, uh, takes care of anything i have and uh he's learned to he's done a good job and uh i i there's not anybody else i would go to
1: sounds like a plan well we hope you're up there avan oklahoma dropping one off real quick
2: yeah well time will tell you know some years some years the pieces come together and some years they uh fly in all different directions so uh you know, the next two or three weeks, we'll probably tell the story. So, we'll see what happens.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, come back on and tell us the story.
2: <laughs> okay. Wow. We'll, hopefully, there'll be one. <laughs> Rick, you got any sponsors you want to throw out there? You know, I don't, I don't have a lot of, when I had sponsors shooting in the Pro Division, uh, once i retired i dropped a lot of my sponsors because when i retired i wanted to shoot anything that i wanted to shoot but uh the bowtech the bowtech people have always been good to me and helped me out a uh, handsky uh dropaways and peeps the Hamsky people have helped me and shibuya has been a sponsor of mine for a long time lancaster archery i've uh they actually have a little shooting staff and i'm been on their shooting staff for a long time so uh they've always been good to me Uh, those are the main ones uh you know one of my biggest biggest sponsors my wife and uh, i want to thank her for uh putting up with my passion uh she's always supported me in everything i did in going to tournaments and whatever I needed to do in archery. And uh, I really appreciate that. Some people don't have that luxury and, and, and I really appreciate her being as supportive
1: as she is.
0: So. And even putting band-aids when you fall out of tree stands. There you go. <laughs> I was yeah.
1: going to say, everybody, if you're climbing, if you're climbing off the ground, let's, let's, let's hook in at the bottom and stay clipped in. All the way, all the way up the tree, everybody. Yep. Yep. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. I,
2: I learned the lesson the hard way. So uh, uh, everybody take note of that.
0: <laughs> Rick, thank you. I appreciate the friendship most of all. And I appreciate you taking a little time out. It's time to go get a little supper. How about that?
2: That sounds good, Dave. Uh, I appreciate you and Neil having me on and uh, be looking forward to watching your future podcast i really enjoy what you guys are doing so y'all keep up the good work
0: thanks bud